Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is the stage manager to the stars, Eddie Luisi. He's been the stage manager at Good Morning America for almost three decades. In addition to his TV work, he's an active musician as well. I hope you enjoy this edition of Backstage at the Enharmonic. Hey, Eddie, this is Sean Kennedy. Thanks for taking some time to be on the podcast. Hey, Sean, you're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Not a problem. I start every interview with the same question. Uh, what is your earliest memory of music? So I'm 58 years old, and I grew up in Astoria, Queens, New York. And my earliest recollection of music is records. Okay, I think there were 45. I don't think I had any 78. I had the 45 <laughs> records and albums. Um, I grew up loving old rock and roll music. I guess I liked Alice Cooper and Steppenwolf, and then eventually I got into Loggins and Messina and the Eagles. Uh, so that's my earliest recollection of listening to music. What was the environment like? Did mom and dad play? Any brothers and sisters? Uh, neither mom and dad played or, or sang. Uh, my sister, neither. Um, I just had... Uh, bunch of friends, I guess, when I was maybe 12 years old, we were all into music and we all kind of bought guitars and just kind of jammed with each other and taught ourselves, you know, basic three chords and just kind of rocked out with loud little lamps. Excellent. So you were like 12 years old, I guess, when you really started playing guitar and stuff. Um, yep. Junior high. Uh, what did you see yourself doing 10 years down the road? So... I didn't think myself to become a musician. I thought somewhere down the road I would get into TV because I liked watching television. But I wish somebody would have mentored me while I was in school, um, high school, if not college, because uh, I did like playing. I was playing a band. Um, I guess you know, ever since 12 and then at 15, I started playing in different clubs and stuff, even though I was underage. I looked older. Um, but nobody really mentored me to, to sight read because I always thought if I was a professional musician, I would have to work nights and weekends. And I knew I wanted to be married and have kids. And I didn't really want to just work nights and weekends or go on the road and travel and stuff. So somebody would have told me, hey, you know, there's session players. You can work nine to five. And if you could sight read, you could play on jingles and soundtracks for movies and TVs and albums for artists, like, I would have I went that path if I would have known. So the first time we met was a few years ago when I had the opportunity to come up to New York, and I performed with the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Corral. I played drum set with them right in Times Square at the uh, GMA set, and you blew me away with how well you controlled everything in that recording session. We were in for a few hours on live national TV. Uh, there were about 100 boys from, like, 8 years old to teens, some men singing, a bunch of musicians, parents in the wings, and you had your headset on, and it was smooth sailing all the way. What really stuck out to me was how nice you were to everyone and treated even the seven-year-olds the same as the host of Good Morning America. Uh, everyone was on a level playing field with you, and that really stuck out to me, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for saying that. That was really nice of you. I, I try to stress as a stage manager and as a person to be kind to everybody, polite to everybody, treat everybody equal, equally. From the kids to, you know, the, the adults, the musicians, the singers, if you're stars, if you're not stars, I think that's what life's about is 
you know, treating people equally. So I strive on that um, for the students that are watching. You know, there's opportunities everywhere, and, and you want to treat people nicely, equally, so you can learn from them and you can make different contacts. So I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah, that's so important, and I try to stress that too, because as a musician, I'm training some students who are going into music as a profession, and the one thing I tell them is you can find tons of people who can play an instrument well. And the people that are going to get hired play well, but they're also easy to work with and nice people. It's not just your ability. So always keep that in mind. Yes, definitely. You know, to, and, and, and to work with other people so that you're not only working with fellow musicians, you're not working with singers or directors, but you're working with stage managers and you're working with crew. And, and you know, when, when you come in early, I'm sure you had to come in early, you had to set up, you have to work with the prep guys that are, setting up your gear. So there's so many different layers of, of treating people nice and working well with you. And, and people see that, you know, I'm, I'm, as a professional, I see how people interact and, and, and I pick up on that. That's part of my job. And I think you, you saw that in me and, and you saw that in the crew of Good Morning America. Exactly, exactly. One of the nicest uh, TV shoots I ever did because of the people behind the scenes. So before we get into the GMA stuff, because you've been there so long, I wanted to ask you about one other show I saw on your resume that you worked on, one of my favorite shows ever, Sesame Street. Can you tell us how you got hooked up with Sesame Street? So once again, I was a freelancer. I wasn't a steady stage manager, but I would come in, and as soon as I walked onto the set, I walked onto the street of Sesame Street. It was fabulous. <laughs> I was excited myself. Now, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 99.9% sure. I think I was there the very first day that Elmo was on TV. So oh, it wow. Was really, really, yeah, it was really cool. So he wasn't a star yet, you know? He was just a new character that he introduced. But, <laughs> you knew Elmo um, before he was famous. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that crazy? But, uh, <laughs> I mean, all the puppeteers, so nice, so creative, so talented, but it's interesting because if you're on the set watching or working, you know, you want to look at people's eyes when you throw cues, but everybody's looking down because they're sitting on, on the floor and they're sitting on these roller-type seats and they're looking at monitors. So they have microphones on and they're looking at monitors and their hands are up because, you know, they're doing all the puppeteer with their hands. So it was, it was surreal but very cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. Were Jim Henson or Frank Oz around when you were working there? So when I worked Sesame Street, they weren't on the set, but I did have the fortunate pleasure to work with both of them when they were on Good Morning America many years ago, and they did you know, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. So they were the original, you know, actors for those two uh, characters. Wow, sure. And Yoda uh, from Star Wars. Yeah. So, <laughs> incredible. And I worked with Carol Spinney, who's, you know, Big Bird, and, you know, all the original wow. originals, you know, I worked with all of them. So, and, and it's funny because just today on Good Morning America, we had Big Bird and we had, you know, a couple other, and it, it's different people now because Carol Spinney's probably in his 90s, but still wonderful, talented, creative, nice people that are still keeping the legacy of Sesame Street going. Wow, that's beautiful. And I just thought at parties, you must be great because someone could walk up to you and say, hey, what did you do today? And you can say, well, I worked with Big Bird. It, it, it's an <laughs> conversation starter. 
It could be interesting. It, it, it is interesting. And the funny thing is wherever I walk, you know, people kind of know me. So I don't know if they know me from Good Morning America. They know me from being a church musician or whatever, but or from Facebook. But I have a lot of friends around. How did you get to be the stage manager for Good Morning America for so long? So that that's a, an interesting story. So I was called in many years ago as a freelancer to work on New Year's Day. Now, obviously, New Year's Eve, everybody's out having a good time and stuff, so the two regular stage managers took the day off. So I came into the show cold, meaning I never saw the show before, and the other stage manager with me saw the show two or three times, so she was pretty cold also. So for two hours, I got yelled at by the director, Don Roy King. Don Roy King is a wonderful man, and he's currently the director of Saturday Night Live. But basically, after that day, I didn't get called for 11 months. So now it's 11 months later. I get a phone call from ABC, and they say, can you work on Morning America? Sure. This time I come in, and I work with Barry Greenfield, who was the main stage manager at the time, and he showed me around, told me what to do, so I did a great job. So after that, I became the number one backup. So after like a month later, I went to, to Don in the control room and said, Don, I said, you know, it's interesting. I worked the job, and you yelled at me for two hours. I didn't get called for 11 months. And then all of a sudden, you called me. I said, well, how did that happen? He said, well, Ed, you know, basically I had six, you know, other stage managers as backups, and it took me 11 months to fire them. So then you know, I called <laughs> you next. So I thought that was hilarious. But, you know, that's the truth. And, and I'm sure you as a freelance musician also, I mean, you know, sometimes you're a backup and sometimes you do a gig and you don't get called later and, and it, it takes time for people either to get fired or leave or move on or get another gig and then you get called. So you want to always, you know, be hopeful that, that something good will come down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lesson that I learned when I started doing union freelance jobs, uh, somebody took me aside and said, listen, you did a great job. The conductor liked you. Everyone liked you. But if you never get called again, don't be surprised. It's nothing personal because there's a hierarchy. There's a list that people have to go through because that really made me uh, settle down a little bit because a lot of times if you don't get called back, you can take it personally. But especially I found in show business and music, um, there's other stuff going on behind the scenes. Maybe the drummer was, you know, a blood relative of somebody who got hired instead of me. So what can you do about that? So just take every opportunity with a grain of salt and uh, appreciate the opportunity you had at that moment, even if you don't get called back. And, and here's an interesting tidbit that, that could be for you as a freelance musician or me, me as a freelance stage manager. A lot of times you might get a call and you can't work it because you're already booked. Mm. So what I mm-hmm. would do, I would graciously decline, but instead of just saying goodbye, like leave them, you know, I say, hey, I have a list of five other people. Would you like them? And I always would give them an A list of friends to fill in for me. And you know what? They would be so appreciative because then they could call up somebody immediately. And even if that person was better than me, they would still call me back just for my integrity of of being nice and, and turning them on to somebody else. So that's a good lesson for students to learn. Yep, that is so true. It happens to me. I get called for gigs. I recommend a couple guys who can do it just as well or better. And that yep. contractor appreciates because I made their life easier. So then they want to work yep. with me again. Yep, that's right. So true. Yeah. Great point. So you've been at GMA for you know decades now, and technology in the world has changed. 
How has social media, the internet, cell phones, how has that impacted you at your job at Good Morning America? So with social media, I mean, we have our own social media team of like three or four um, producers and stuff. So, I mean, in the old days, we would just have our TV cameras and we would broadcast and go out. Now, during our segments or before or after or in commercials, we have social media cameras coming in and shooting behind the scenes or doing interviews. So that makes life a little bit more complicated being a stage manager and trying to organize everything. But I realize these people have a job too, and my job isn't any more important than theirs. So I try to be helpful, and I try to get them uh, you know, into, uh, into little nooks and crannies so they could get their job done also. With cell phones, I mean, that's just crazy because we have audience outside, we have audience inside, so everybody nowadays wants to get their cell phone out, wants to capture a great image and throw it out on their social media page. And me too. You know, I'm, I'm a fan also of a lot of these celebrities and musicians. So I try in the background to shoot different things on my cell phone, and I have a Facebook page. And, and, and what I basically do is a lot of behind-the-scenes videos and, and, and stills that the, our Good Morning America social media don't do, but it's through my eyes, through my perspective. And I think a lot of people like that because they're seeing things different. And I have a sense of humor, so some stuff is silly and fun. So, so social media, cell phones, all that has changed uh, my life at Good Morning America tremendously. Excellent. I really liked uh, this summer I was following your Facebook page and you were doing the remotes out at uh, Central Park for the uh, concerts, and you always had like a silly question or a cool picture behind the scenes. So I'll provide that link for all the listeners so they can follow you as well. That's cool. And what I was trying to do also, because I have a lot of musician friends that aren't pros, and I wanted to shoot equipment and show them, hey, look at this gear they have, or look at these foot pedals, or look at this. So I was kind of like training, teaching, and forming other people also. So I thought that was um, something that I was actually trying to do. Nice. That's beautiful. I was looking at your resume of musical acts and musicians that you've worked with over the years, and it's remarkable. It's pages and pages worth of uh, famous legends. And a couple that stuck out to me, I'll just mention them to the listening audience. Uh, Chet Atkins, Chuck Berry, Harry Connick Jr., Huey Lewis in the News, and they're near and dear to my heart. I'm a child of the 80s. I was in middle school and high school in the 80s, Back to the Future, so I love Huey Lewis. Uh, James yep. Brown, uh, Joe Williams, uh, James Galway, Pavarotti, et cetera, et cetera. If, is there anyone on that list you could tell us a little story about? So James Brown, I mean, everybody knows him as this great singer and dancer and, and, and you know, and showman. But uh, we did a live show out of Tavern on the Green. That was a very famous restaurant in Central Park. And we took over the back patio area. So we sound check with the band and everything's great. And all of a sudden James Brown comes out. And he's just on his own. He's on fire. So I'm on headset, and I tell the director, I had no control of him. He's just on his own. Just get the cameras <laughs> and follow him. So he sings a little bit. Then he goes over to the drums and starts playing the drums. And he's great. And then he picks up the bass, and he starts playing the bass. Then he goes over to the Hammond B3 organ. And I mean, this guy is fabulous. He plays the guitar. And he was just so wonderful, so funky. And um, it was a great show. It was, it, it was excitement. Now, I don't know if, if he's done this before in other shows, but on my show he did, and it was fabulous. 
Wow. <laughs> Talk about legend and uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you to observe that live. Incredible. And, and, and Harry Connick Jr., he came to the set. This was when he was, like, first starting out. So he was this young, hip kid. And, you know, we have sound checks, and everything is so professional. And, and you know, and I, and I tell them, stand by, and I count, and we do this. Every single time he did the song for sound check, it was different. So I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to make those. And he's just doing his own thing. He's just like this, this young, you know, uh, horse coming out of the stable. And he didn't have anything <laughs> down pat. But, but it was cool. He was really talented. He had a good voice. He just, you know, he, he didn't know the, the ropes. Wow. And now he has his own show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Yes. So you've done thousands of broadcasts over the years, is it possible to narrow it down to one or two maybe that are really memorable that you have uh, some memory you could share with the audience? So years ago, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, no more, it had to be over 20 years ago, we had Babyface on, okay? Now, hmm. now Babyface, you know, is a great artist, songwriter, producer. So he had like A-list band. I mean, they were just pop musicians. So I walk into the studio and my back is to the band, and I hear this bass. I'm saying, wow, this is the best bass player I ever heard. I turn around, and I see this guy playing with this big smile, and I say, Nathan East. Now, I don't know if no. you know Nathan East or not. You, guys, you have to Google search him, but he is the of number course. one bass player. He played with Eric Clapton. He played with, you know, with everybody, Phil Collins. Right. Um, so I walk over and I say, Nate, Denise, how you doing? And, you know, and very, very nice guy. So what I like to do, and I don't know if I did this with you when you were on GMA, but I, I, I like to, you know, dig, dig the people a little bit and give them a hard time. So he started uh -huh. playing the Yamaha bass, and it's a Nate Denise bass. So I go up to him and I said, oh, big star, you have a Nate Denise bass. And he just laughs and he puts his head down. He's a very humble guy and stuff. So, so – so I tease him, this and that, and then the band comes out, we rehearse, everybody rehearses, they leave. So now he's gone in the green room, I get a piece of scotch tape, and I scotch tape on the body of his bass, and I sign my name on it. So two hours later, after sound check, he comes into the studio, and he's like, he looks at his face, and he's like on fire, like, there's somebody right on my bass, and he goes up to his bass guitar and he sees scotch tape with my name and he starts laughing and I point to him and I said, now that bass is worth money. And <laughs> we've been friends ever since. They are buddies and, and it was because of that. I think next month he was on Bass Player Magazine and he sent me a copy and, it, and had my signature on the bass. It was hilarious. Oh, that's, uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, and he's so great. I saw, I've seen him play with a bunch of people, and uh, what a what a tremendous talent he is. Hey, I have a fun Prince story. You want a Prince story? Of course. Okay, so so we were in uh, Bryant Park, which is uh, a couple blocks from Times Square, and his his you know there's always guitar techs and drum techs and this and that. His guitar tech. Okay, this is for musicians. I'm gonna get technical here. So he basically had a Stratocaster plugged into an orange amp, and he had that sound. And then he had a Les Paul plugged into a Marshall. He had that sound. Okay? So everything was perfect. Everything tweaked out. Prince comes on stage and takes the one guitar and puts it in the other amp. He says, I don't like this sound. 
and his guitar mm-hmm. tech is sweating. Now, he had it all perfect the way it was supposed to be, and Prince kind of like, let's just, so Prince says, okay, who's the producer here? So I walk over, I said, well, my name's Eddie Luis. I'm not the producer, but I'm the stage manager. He says, well, I want to let you know if this sound isn't right, I'm not going on TV. So I said, okay. Mm. So I look at him, and I say, well, Mr. Prince, just want to let you know, if you do go on TV, you'll be on in seven minutes. And he looked at me and he kind of smiled and winked because, like, he gave it to me and I gave it back to him and, and everything was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that was good. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah. If you're going to dish it out, make sure you can take it. <laughs> yeah. I have an Amy Grant story, too. I don't know if anybody knows Amy Grant. I, I guess I have a lot sure. of stories. Amy Grant's a Christian artist, right, years ago, and I never heard of her, but my sister told me about her. She was on the show with Michael W. Smith, who's big right mm-hmm. now. You know, he was her piano player. They did a song, oh. If These Walls Could Speak. Um, so after the show, we at Good Morning America used to have this big flat where we'd have all the celebrities sign it. So I said, Amy, would you like to sign the wall? She goes, yeah, thank you very much. So she's hanging out, and she's hanging out, and I'm watching her, and she's hanging out, and she's still inside, and then all of a sudden she signs Amy Grant. So I start clapping. I said, wow, that was really great. And she goes, shut up, Ed. I said, oh, nice. I said, why don't you write that on the wall? So she writes, shut up, Ed, on the wall. And I took a picture, and, I, and that's my memory. And we've been friends ever since, too. She's been on the show a half dozen times. I've been to her concerts. I've been backstage with her. So, so you know, I, I made a lot of nice friendships with people, and, and some are stars and some are not stars. But like I said earlier in this interview, you want to be friendly with people. You want to make them feel at ease. You know, if you have business cards or if you can write down whatever your cell phone number or, or your Facebook account, or you, you want to just make contacts because you never know down the road when you're going to be working with them. Look, look I was nice with you how many years ago, and now I'm on your podcast. And this is exactly. the first podcast I've, I've ever been on. And and maybe, you know, something good's going to come out of it for you, for me, for, or for anybody who's listening. Maybe they learned something. Well, I'm sure, yeah, I don't know about either of us, but I'm sure the listeners are yeah. going to get something out of it. <laughs> There's a lot of useful information coming. <laughs> so you're involved with TV, music, uh, seems like round the clock from our discussion. Do you enjoy listening to music now? And uh, do you do anything outside of music and uh, the performing arts? Okay, so, so listening to music, I mean, I drive an hour back and forth to GMA every morning. So I'm on you know, satellite radio. Um, I kind of listen to spa, which is kind of meditative, instrumental. And then I go on Coffee House, which is uh, kind of more the acoustic singer-songwriter. And then once in a while, I go to some of the old rock. But I'm not really hip or up to the newest sounds. But the interesting uh-huh. thing, we have so many of the newer artists on GMA and you know, and so I have to ask the producers, who's that person, or how do you say their name, or whatever. <laughs> um, but for me, like I said earlier, I started at age 12. When I started at age 12, I, I became a church musician as soon as I started. And back in the, in the old days, those were uh, I was raised Catholic, and I did the old folk masses. So that was kind of like 70s folk music, and I learned three chords. And I didn't do it for any spiritual, religious reason. I did it so I could learn guitar because all the musicians were older and I was a 12-year-old kid, so I had to keep up with them. Um, And I'm 58 now, so I've been doing church music for 46 years consistently. Um, I lead right now two groups, 
and one group is called Jamming with Jesus. And actually, when we started 20 years ago, it was just all high school kids, and I got called in because someone recommended me, and I was I was leading the group of all high school musicians. It was like a, a Christian rock band plus singers, and one of the one of the musicians, his name is Bobby Marino, and Bobby right now. He's a successful timpani percussionist with the, the U.S. I'm not sure. It, it, it's some type of military band, but it's like, and he made it. And he went to Eastman um, College. And Bobby told me years later that, you know, all the kids that auditioned for Eastman were all top, top, top percussionists. And they all knew timpanis and all the other stuff so well. But he was the only one out of all the kids that could play drum kit. And he said, Eddie, he said, I have to thank you because I played drum kit with you in church and you just taught me how to do different things. You know, even though I'm not a drummer, I'm a musician. And, and, you know, and I know when you go to the hi-hat, you go to the cymbal and the chorus and the verse, and when you, you, know, you do different things. So I helped him, and that helped him along. Um, and then I have another group of, of other high school students that, that play with me. And... Um, but I was talking to you earlier today that there are so many students out there that are really, really good musicians and really, really good sight readers. And there are so many wonderful teachers and educators there. But what I've seen, because I have four kids and, and some of them are musicians, but when I go, when I talk to these kids, I go to the concert, you know, there's the band concert, there's the orchestra concert, there's the chorus, then there's the pit band, and then there's marching band. And they're sight reading all the time. And, and that's great. And I wish I would have learned it. But a lot of them can't ad lib. And a lot of them say, hey, look, I'm going to just be in the key of key, just play around it. And they don't know how to do it. So what happens when these kids join my group in church, even though they're reading music, because I grew up kind of like playing bar bands and, 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 and ad libbing rock and roll, I force them, I encourage them to go away from the music and just start ad-libbing or do this line here or do this. And I think that helps them be a much better, well-rounded musician if they're going to pursue that in their career. Oh, definitely. And I can speak firsthand, too, about that because I went to parochial school growing up. And uh, when I was in high school, of course, we had the concert band with the sheet music and, you know, yep. uh, rudiments and scales. Uh, but one yep. of the... Um, priest at the high school said, hey, we're starting a church rock group. Uh, who wants to play? So I played piano and drums, and it was basically like, the song is in G. Here we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that, that and was that's about important. all the... Uh, it is. It yeah. is important to be able to do that and listen. It makes you a better listener. And you know what? Being a stage manager, okay, and, and you've been a musician on the set of GMA, but during commercials or during sound check or after the show, if I come up and say, hey, man, do I feel good? And I was like, da, 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 da. If musicians could do that, it just creates an atmosphere for the crew. It creates an atmosphere for the artist. If there's a studio audience, it creates an atmosphere. The other day we had um, Common on, right? Common's a, a famous singer, rapper, uh -huh. music, uh, actor. Um, and he was on with another young lady. And then... At the end of the show, Rob, the band kicked in on their own, and, and <laughs> Robin starts dancing, and then Common just start, you know, start rapping on his own. So they were ad-libbing, but 
the musicians started it, and 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 it created a vibe with Robin Roberts, and created a vibe with Carmen, and then it created a vibe with the audience, and the audience was all standing and dancing. And now you asked me earlier about social media. Well, hello, everybody has their phones out, and now everybody's getting a moment that wasn't on Good Morning America, and now even the Good Morning America social media of videotaping. So now they could print this, and they could they could publish and post this about this dynamic, fun, 10-minute jam afterwards that started with the drummer kicking in. The drummer kicked it in, the bass player kicked it in, and then it just happened. So, yeah, you got you to gotta add lid. You got to have fun. You got to be able to go out of the box and not just read the music. And, and, and I mean, that's wonderful, but there's other stuff out there. Sure, exactly. Right. So important for young people to get that message. So if you want to, could you give some advice to young people besides the already great advice you've given about being friendly and all that? Are there like maybe one or two things like that you would like kids to keep in mind if they're going to go into TV or music or any sort of career like that? Okay, so so being at Good Morning America, we've had a lot of different high schools and colleges from around the United States come on field trips to New York, and then they come to the set of Good Morning America and a lot of these schools come on a regular basis. So I became friends with the professors. And after the show, I pull them off to the side, and I give them a, a little talk, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And it's kind of an inspirational talk, motivational talk. And what I tell these students, okay, is in this stage of your life, right, senior high school, going to college, college stage, and then graduating, trying to get a job, the word no is not in your vocabulary. Now, obviously, for moral reasons, yeah, you could say the word no. But career-wise, the word no is not in your vocabulary. So let's say, for instance, I go over to this one person. I say, hey, look, I need you Friday night to do a gig. I need you, you know, we got to play this one thing. It's going to be from 10 to 2. Um, that's a musician thing. Or let's say TV thing. Hey, I'm doing a shoot at the football field. I need help on the camera. And they say, no, that's it. You're done. You're gone. I'm moving on to the next person. You know this, for sh you know this firsthand. Professional musicians and, and, and people in TV, there are thousands and thousands that want these gigs. So, and there's only a small amount. There's only a small amount of, of people in a pit band. There's only a small amount of people in, in the Solomonic Orchestra or a Broadway show. So you have to say yes, 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 yes for your career, and, and, and that's how you're going to just get more and more experience, and the people are going to like you, and they're going to turn you on to more gigs, or they'll recommend you to other gigs. Once you say no, that could just stop you dead, dead, you know, dead flat, unless you, know, you have a, a, a connection, a parent, or somebody that's a big shot, then you'll get a second chance. That's so true. It's, you know, people call you for a gig and say, can you do this? Perhaps you're double booked and you have to say no, but like you just said, don't say no. Say, I can't do it, but here are five other guys that would do a great job. So always yeah. try to make that, that person's life easier if you can, and then they'll call you back. Right. And, and you know, like I said, I work with high school kids in, in the church and stuff, and, and I know certain people that are doing so much, you know, and, and they'll, they'll do – They'll do the, the pitch for the, the music at the high school, but then they'll go to a middle school and they'll do music there. Or they'll go to a local community theater and they'll play there. Or there's an opera and they'll play there. And then they'll go to the church. 
And these people are wonderful. I don't know how they do it. Are they burnt out? But number one, they love music. And number two, they're getting so much experience as a musician. And they're also beefing up their resume or their CV, whatever you want to call it, that will give them opportunities to get into good colleges or to get other jobs. So it's a win-win to hustle. Mm-hmm. That's right, because you can't learn how to do this stuff in a book. You have to go out and do it. You can't learn experience. Yeah, and, 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 and between you and me and, and your viewers, now with social media and the Internet and Pro Tools and Logic and recording and GarageBand, I mean, there's so much opportunity out there, even if you aren't so musically trained, but if you have a good ear of popping loops together and rapping and, and, and doing stuff like that, you create music and... and you could be just as successful and creative working electronically, not just being this classically trained sight-reading type musician. Exactly. So, Eddie, it was so wonderful to talk to you again, and I'll keep looking forward to your post on Facebook and uh, our occasional emails back and forth about you know things that are happening in the music business that we see. And uh, I hope to get back to New York soon and uh, work with you again up at Good Morning America or in some other circumstance. So thank you again for taking the time. You are welcome. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on your podcast. I wish you much success in your career and the podcast. And all the listeners, uh, much success to you guys too. Keep on, keep on doing your thing. Keep on saying yes. All right, Ed. Thanks and have a great day. You're welcome. Thank you. To find out more about Eddie, Good Morning America, his musical pursuits, and to follow him on Facebook for all of the great behind-the-scenes info at Good Morning America, please follow the links at the bottom of this podcast. And thanks for listening.